This week's podcast brought to you by Donnie Brooks. At the usual, a full slate of basketball games, child basketball games this weekend. Um, one of the kids who've been playing for years with the kids' teams um, made her first basket of her long and illustrious career. And I was sitting next to the parents, and they were thrilled, of course. And uh, the mom turned to the dad and said, she just set the all-time family scoring record. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. I got back very, very early Monday morning after being in South Bend for the UConn-Notre Dame game on Sunday. Uh, right after the game, took a car to Midway Airport so I could I could fly home. And, uh, and I got a text from a friend of ours saying, what, you didn't stay for the Garth Brooks concert? Because there was a live concert, um, Garth Brooks concert, on CBS, I think. So, so it was on, but... Um, but I had already checked, and that concert was recorded in October. And I was worried when I saw that there was going to be a Garth Brooks concert from Notre Dame Stadium because, selfishly, I didn't want it to slow down the traffic for me when I was leaving the Notre Dame UConn game. But anyway, and, and more famously, you 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 attended a conference in Orlando last year with a private concert by John Mayer. You blew that off. You famously have said that. If Bruce Springsteen, your your all-time musical hero, were performing in your living room after 9 p.m., you'd have to go to bed and tell him he's welcome to stay? But this has nothing to do with that. I was only worried about the traffic. The, the, the thought of going to the concert never even crossed my mind. Well, that was an not. impossibility. I was just trying to make it to the airport. I'm just saying you see musical spectacles as an inconvenience. I see them as a, as a, traffic, uh, a traffic nuisance. So anyway, <laughs> that, that was neither here nor there because the concert was uh, recorded back in October. Anyway, the basketball game was absolutely amazing. It was really, really close for the first three quarters, but what just kind of blew me away was how well the game was played. Both teams played solid defense, but they were making spectacular offensive plays. And, you know, I've grown accustomed to watching this high level of basketball all through the summer in the WNBA and in particular in the WNBA finals. The level of the basketball there is incredible. I did not think I would see it on a game in early December when, you know, one team, it was their seventh game of the season and Notre Dame, it was their eighth game of the season. It was phenomenal basketball and just had a blast watching it. It was sold out because UConn, you know, kind of took control relatively early, at least had the lead early. The crowd didn't have too many opportunities to really uh, use their voice and get into it. But but they did have green glow sticks. And one of our daughters said while watching the game here at home, I wish UConn had those glow sticks. <laughs> well, they had glow. They put glow sticks at the announce table. I should have brought them home, but I didn't. I wasn't 100% sure I'd get them through security. The um, announce table? Is that the, what you call it? Yeah, it's the announce table. It's where we sit. It's called the announce table. How is that different from an ordinary table? Um, because it's where the announcers sit. So it's our announce table and it's got our it's got our monitors on it and our uh, 
our headsets and all that sort of thing. But Holly Rowe doesn't sit there. She has the, uh, you know, the sideline reporter seat, which sometimes is on the baseline, but she's not, then not called a baseline reporter. She's still called a so sideline reporter. There's a sideline seat. But an announced table. An announced table. Well, no, she is, she is has there, a little she has a little work area. Is there too. like an analyst end table or a or right. a, a settee or an ottoman for other? Yeah, that's a studio host settee. Yeah, that that's there. There should be a whole uh, a whole part of the furniture catalog that is just for announcers. But um, but anyway, I was getting some people on Twitter today saying, "How come you and Kara didn't talk more about Arike Gumbawale?" And, you know, what she said to Coach Oriyama, well, we didn't know what she said to Coach Oriyama because um, we could not read her lips and we couldn't hear it. Or, you know, sometimes people after the fact, because they're watching the game on their big giant televisions, they might see something that we don't see because even though we're doing our best to watch the action in front of us, we're also looking down at our monitors, which are kind of small. So sometimes, you know, when I watch a game back after the fact, I, I notice things that I didn't notice while it was being happening right in front of me. But uh, but anyway, I did see all of these spectacular plays, especially by the freshman for UConn, Kristen Williams. But when the team, when UConn first came out to warm up, I, I saw UConn associate head coach Chris Daly and I said, what's with the gray warm-ups? Because they were wearing black pants, gray tops the the women were wearing gray their gray nike shoes and she said something about black uniform and i said what she's like we're wearing a black uniform today and it was really weird to see yukon they've worn silver uniforms before obviously they wear blue uniforms and white uniforms it was really weird to see them in a black uniform i don't think i like it i mean why would they wear them they have their yukon that yankees don't wear neon yellow highlighter colored uniforms for you know sunday games they don't need to do that yeah i, I agree i think there's some, a few iconic brands that when you in sports when you turn turn them on you just recognize them and i think yukon is one of those and um maybe other people loved it i don't know and, and i'm sure they're not trying to appeal to to uh, my demographic but i did not love the black uniforms i wish they had gone either with their their silver or their blue well, I, I think like everything else is a function of us being old. And, you know, every team now in every sport has 16 different uniforms and they seem to all sell them reasonably well. So, you know, you're right. It's not for our demographic. It's not for us, yeah. But your demographic is a former UConn basketball player also. Sure. I mean, I love I love the cut. I love the style. I, I like the logo, everything. I just... I, and I'm sure they'd only use the black the black uniforms on special occasions, which I guess the one versus two matchup was. But um, having, it's not my favorite. I'll put it that way. Having one by 17 on the road, I'm guessing they'll stick with the black for big games at some point. Yeah, most likely they will. I just wanted to ask you, you say sometimes you look at the monitor, sometimes you're looking at the action in front of you. Are you supposed to be doing one or the other, or you just look at the monitor for replays? How does that work? No, you're supposed to um, look at both. Uh, and the reason you... You're at the su- same time? <laughs> no, but kind of go back and forth. And one of the reasons you're supposed to keep an eye on the monitor is because a graphic might come up. Like, all of a sudden, a graphic might come up that, you know, UConn is on a 10-2 run, or, I don't know, there's a variety of graphics that could come up, and, and ideally, you don't ignore it. You reference the fact that that this number has just popped up on the screen. But at the same time, the graphics people who are building graphics back in the truck, our production truck, which is outside, they often just put graphics up to support what you have said. 
and we had a really good graphics crew in that game. So I would say something and all of a sudden there would uh, graphic numbers would come up on the screen to support it. So yeah, so you're kind of going back and forth watching what's happening in front of you, sometimes looking down at the monitor, sometimes while the action is going on, the producer might say, take a look at your ISO monitor, which is a, a different monitor, an isolation monitor, and he's showing you a replay of something, even though live action is going on in front of you, just kind of asking you, you know, would you want to see that in the next dead ball or that sort of thing? So there's a few different things going on. The language of television sports is the same language of medical dramas on TV. Take a look at your ISO monitor. We need 10 <laughs> cc's of ibuprofen stat. <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, I'm not quite to that age. You're not going to die on my announce table. At, at some point, I'm going to push the button and go into call and to talk back and say, I need however many doses of ibuprofen stat. I think that. There's a stat sheet as well. Yeah, there is a stat sheet. And and, and, and if you're in a, a good arena, you get the stat sheet uh, every time that there's a timeout and the, the audience at home is watching a commercial, we're getting the stat sheet. So we can kind of take a look at the numbers and uh, what's going on there. One of the things that sometimes I do to to stay entertained, this this is a little bit more in the WNBA season with Ryan Rucco and, and Holly Rowe and I are working together. Sometimes something funny might come up when we're off the air or a word might be used that's funny and we'll say to one another, all right, let's try to get that into the broadcast. And that happened before the Notre Dame-UConn game. I was coaching our 12-year-old daughter's uh, basketball team, and I coached that team with three dads. And we were, during the game, um, we were talking about how I was leaving that afternoon to go out to South Bend, and one of the dads said to me, you know, do you ever just, you know, try to get a word into a telecast? I said, yeah, sometimes we do that, especially in WNBA. And he said, all right. He said, do you think you can get the word watermelon in? And I said... No, I can't get the word watermelon in. What, How did that even come up? I don't know. I think he was just gr- grasping for a word. So a little bit later, he said to me, in his, he coaches his other, his older daughter in hockey, and he said, uh, what about Donnybrook? Do you think you could get Donnybrook in? I said, I don't know. What does it mean? And so he kind of explained the definition of Donnybrook. And I said, you know what? Which is I, a big, uh, in hockey, it's like a hockey fist fight. Old Norris division, Donnybrook would be the North Stars and the Blackhawks having a fist fight. Yeah, if you look up the definition on online, it's a scene of uproar and disorder, a heated argument. So anyway, I told him, I said, yeah, that will be my challenge in this game. Well, anyone who watched the UConn-Notre Dame game knows that things started to get physical and chippy and and you know elbows were starting to be thrown and it was becoming you know a little bit uh, more heated and so I was able to get uh, Donnie Brook into the telecast and um, so now my friend and co-coach Greg owes me um, a 12 pack of of something so I don't know if it's going to be Coke Zero or what I'm going to have him get for me but uh, he does owe me something for getting Donnie Brook on the air. Didn't you also get a text from our producer, Denny Gallagher? <laughs> this was this was the best. As I get a text from Denny as I'm driving uh, back to Chicago, and uh, he said something like, um, I have a feeling Dottie Brook is going to make the um, the next podcast. Dottie Brook. D-O-T-T-Y-B-R-O-O-K. And so I texted him back and just said, it's Donnie Brook. And... Uh, and then his response was, oh, no, I have a feeling that's going to make it into the curiosity shop. So, yes, Denny, it is not Dottie Brook. It's Donnie Brook. And actually, I can't give you too much of a hard time because I had never heard of the phrase Donnie Brook before a couple days ago either. Well, it, it should be either Denny Brook with one N or Donnie Brook with one N. But Donnie Brook is a suburb of Dublin. 
Donnybrook, Ireland, that apparently long ago had an annual fair that was raucous and uh, a bit of a free-for-all. And that's where the modern word Donnybrook comes from. Oh, perfect. Were, were either of them near Sunnybrook Farm? I remember when I was a kid, when I would somebody would find out a, a, an adult of a certain age would hear my name was Rebecca, and they would always say, oh, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. And of course, I had no idea what they were talking about. And in fact, we have a an old used bookstore copy of Rebecca, hardback, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, that somebody had given you years ago. Yeah, I've never read it. Have, did you ever read that book? No, I didn't. Okay. So anyway, maybe Dottie Brook is near Sunnybrook. I, I've I've read I've I've seen Rebecca at Cumberland Farm. <laughs> Not purchasing White Castles. No, which is uh, people in New England will know what I'm talking about. Yes, at the Cumbie. Well, you got a text from Denny asking about what a Dottie Brook is. I got a text from my brother Tom of Tom Dick and Harry. This is after he listened to last week's podcast. This is not technically a viewer mail or even a viewer text, but it's it's uh, it has to do with last week's podcast. Tom writes. I'm going nuts. You don't have a boiler. We've been wondering where our boiler is, right? We've been talking about our boiler. So anyway, this we've talked quite a bit in recent podcasts about our boiler, our boiler getting serviced, and other different things happening to our boiler. And you don't know where in the basement our boiler is. Anyway, so now just read Tom's text in the basement from of, our, of our 15-year-old house. To end, please. Yes. The basement of our 15-year-old house. Tom, I'm going nuts. You don't have a boiler. Our 100-year-old house has radiators and a boiler to send very hot water through the pipes to the radiators. We also have a water heater for taking hot showers, which is not a boiler. You have a furnace for blowing warm air throughout your house, one that has unnecessary wear on it from a lack of filter replacements. Now I can resume my run. My favorite part of this text is that this so he was clearly he was listening to the podcast on his run. He, he got was. so bothered by our our inaccurate description of the heating system in our house that he stopped his run or typed texted this on his run and then resumed his run running around lake harriet i have no doubt that was sent at 808 a.m so 708 a.m in minneapolis at 2 p.m i got a text from a neighbor of ours in connecticut who happens to be the neighbor who gave me his dongle that's right so this is our dongle bearing bearing neighbor <laughs> from uh, from our neighbor the dongle bearer fyi unless your heating system uses hot water you don't have a boiler most heating systems around here are hot forced air and use a furnace just saying i replied i don't know the boiler from the broiler thanks he replied lol lol where do you keep your man card of course i keep that in my man purse you don't keep it in your broiler well, this is this is the thing. Of course, the, I'm sure that is that is all accurate. Because yes, we have a furnace that blows <laughs> warm air throughout our house. But this is where I'm going to. This is what I'm going to use as my defense. Because as it happens today, before we were recording the podcast, I was opening mail and paying bills. And one of the things that came was our service agreement for next year with the company that services the stuff that heats our home. And on there, it says boiler. It says right on the piece of paper that our agreement is for them to service and take care of our boiler. That's the word they use. But New England so, has different names for everything. You know, a liquor store is a package store. Uh, hamburger is a Hamburg. A I mean, I understand this is a lame excuse. Of course, as everyone has pointed out, we don't have a boiler. We do have a broiler in the oven, but we don't have a boiler. But 
it does say that on the piece of paper. So I think that's why I was calling it a boiler, even though it's not. This all sounds like viewer mail. It isn't. I'm also hearing via text from friends that my million dollar idea for Sloppy Joe restaurants to make Sloppy Joe restaurants a national phenomenon or an international phenomenon on the scale of McDonald's has been done on a smaller scale. And I was completely, completely unaware of the existence of this. My brother Tom texted me about it. And my friend Dan in Milwaukee texted me about Made Right Restaurants. Do you, have, have you heard of Made Right Restaurants? M-A-I-D hyphen R-I-T-E? Of course they, they spell it R-I-T-E. No, I have I have never heard of Made how did M A D E M A I D made right restaurants? Yeah, because M A I D wouldn't be a restaurant. Thirty-four so, locations. No, Thirty-four locations. Twenty-three of them in Iowa, five in Illinois, one in Ohio, three in Missouri, and two in Minnesota. And their slogan—you want to hear this? The greatest slogan of all time. Do you think this is a million-dollar idea? We should see what this company is valued at. But yes, I want to hear their much slogan. more than a million. Home of the loose meat sandwich. <laughs> that is pretty good. I wonder they must have a jingle. If somebody, um, if somebody can send us their jingle, since I don't want to Google it, please do that. You don't need to Google it because Tom, my brother Tom, sent me their menu. Okay. And their menu is 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 just unbelievable. The original classics include the original made right sloppy. They don't call it a sloppy Joe anywhere here. Maybe that's proprietary. Heaping helpings of loose meat. Tons of delicious pulled pork and tenderloins, so big they make the bun feel inferior. It's okay, tiny bun. <laughs> That's on the menu. That's on the menu. As you were reading the menu, you described it as unbelievable. And that makes me think of, there used to be a, uh, one of the bosses who worked at ESPN, and he had a couple words that people would say um, that, that would drive him nuts. And so he told us never to use these phrases, and one of them was unbelievable. Because he said, of course, most things are un- most things are believable because they just happen. So don't use the phrase unbelievable. And one of the other ones was, don't ever say first ever. It's redundant. It's the, you know, it's the first one. You don't have to say the first ever. And that's not actually true. Because sometimes if you say something is the first something, a fan might assume it's the first one of that season or the first one of whatever. So first ever, I think, does have um, a little bit more of a, a you know, just tells you a little bit more. But anyway, when you said unbelievable, it made me think of the former boss who didn't want us to say first ever or unbelievable. Of course, Jack Buck's famous call of Kirk Gibson's uh, game one winning home run in the 1988 World Series was, I don't believe what I just saw. So unbelievable, in essence. And was there a more perfect call? No, it was a great call. Great call. I've been uh, watching a lot of game film over the course of the past couple of weeks. Oftentimes, the video that I'm watching is paired with the radio call from the college. Uh, So it's college students doing the radio call. And um, as I was listening and watching, there were two in particular that just made me laugh. And so I had to write them down. I don't remember what this game was. So I'm sorry to the young broadcaster that I cannot credit him for, for saying or credit the two guys for saying these two things. But (laughs) <laughs> one of them, this was over a Thanksgiving tournament. One of the guys said, they're gobbling up rebounds like a kid on Christmas morning under the tree. Gobbling up rebounds like a kid on Christmas morning under the tree. And boom goes the dynamite. It makes absolutely no sense. And yet it's, it's at uh, all glorious. And yet it's glorious. And it made me laugh. And, uh, and this is the other one. Again, this is a different broadcaster in a different game from a different school 
in this, and both of these happen to be guys. And this guy said, both of these offenses looking good in their own skin. <laughs> both of these offenses are looking good in their own skin. I don't have any idea what that means, but I, um, the way he said it was with absolute authority and like pride with whatever metaphor he was going for. So both of these offenses looking good in, good in their own skin and gobbling up rebounds like a kid on Christmas morning under the tree. <laughs> Last week I was at ESPN in Bristol because I was in studio with Coach Landers. We were That, that was for the Iowa uh, Notre Dame game. Anyway, I don't know how this conversation came up, but I was in the makeup room and talking to some of the women and we were talking about Christmas and how Christmas is one of the few things that kids these days still have to wait for and how we live in this, you know, instant gratification world where, you know, you get, everything's at your fingertips. But Christmas is still one of those things. Our eight-year-old daughter has a poster on the wall every morning when she wakes up, she marks off one of the days because that brings you a day closer to Christmas. She and a friend made a Christmas calendar and they each cross out a, a day each day. But the first day that she, she had it, she crossed it out in the morning and I said, the day has just started. She said, I know, but I'm going to cross them out when they start. <laughs> so she but, doesn't realize that when she gets to the 24th, she's going to have to wait an agonizing extra day without right. any crossing anything out. But still, I mean, it's 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 just one of the rare things that you have to wait for now. and Marking and, the time like uh, tallies on a prison wall. Yeah, exactly. And, and we were just talking about, you know, when, when we were kids and, uh, and, you know, now when a show comes out on Netflix, the whole season comes out and you can binge watch the whole season. We were talking about how, you know, when we were kids, you had to wait a whole week for your show to come on. And then if it happened to be on at the same time as, you know, I can distinctly remember, I loved the show Moonlighting when I was a kid and I'd watch it. I think it was on Tuesday nights and and then September rolled around and, and my dad was on our one television and was going to be watching baseball playoffs. And I'm like, well, but Moonlighting is on. I've waited a whole week for this and tough, you know, your parents watch that show. And one of the women was saying she was he had three older brothers. So she was always the fourth in line to choose whatever show you were going to be watching and how you had to wait for that. And then one of them brought up taking pictures and uh, and getting film developed. And I can remember what a big deal it was when you could actually get pictures developed in 24 hours versus, you know, having to wait a whole week for the pictures to be developed. And, or when uh, you would send a, a box top or a wrapper yes, from a top baseball cards. Allow six to eight weeks to deliver for or delivery, cereal or cereal box, or yeah. eight to twelve weeks for delivery. Yeah, allow and, twelve weeks for delivery. Yeah, and one of the one of the women said, "Yeah, you you save up all these cereal boxes because nobody's mom bought like six boxes of cereal. You know, your mom would buy the cereal and it was gone at the next week's grocery shopping. Would buy the next one and you'd wait and wait and wait and finally you'd send it away. And she was talking about, and then you'd get that thing that you threw against the wall. It would stick." And then it would slide down and you thought it was the coolest toy. You know, one of those things that, that you can now get, you know, when uh, you put a quarter in the machine no, or... when the kids get uh, birthday goodie right. bags because goodie we got bag. one. And remember, and I threw it up to the second story of the two-story foyer in the, in the front of the house and it stuck to the ceiling there and we couldn't, we, there was no way of reaching it to get it off there. And then how, how long did it take when it eventually came down? It left a nice little stain like, on the ceiling. A year too. or two later, it spontaneously dropped... You know, yeah. at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, and, and had left a, a little squidge of of 
adhesive on the ceiling. And that was the that was the big deal of back in those days of the Polaroid instant film camera is the only that's the only way you could see an instant picture. And um, it's funny that those came back. Our daughter, that was her big um, Christmas gift that she wanted a year ago. Our oldest daughter was one of the Instamax cameras, one of those Polaroid cameras. And anyway, now, now getting anything, anything delivered to you within 24 hours by speaking into your robotic speaker on your kitchen counter is not fast enough. So Amazon has to deliver things by drone. It is, it is, you know, the mainlining of, of consumer products instantly into your veins has reached, you know, there's no place else to go with it. Well, that instant gratification is not fast enough. That is the absolute beauty of Christmas is it's the one thing that you're waiting for in our our eight-year-old with her her chart you're waiting for day by day and, and and how much more exciting it is when it gets here because you had all of that anticipation and um i that's one of the things i love about it is it it brings us back to all of the things that we waited for when we were little and we've kind of gone back to this in the past week or so because i came home one day and suddenly our microwave had been removed from its little built-in <laughs> cubby hole where it had been since we moved into this house. And you told me that I was, we, that is I, was going to get a new microwave. And uh, it, they're easy to install, somebody told you, though it didn't look like it was all that easy to uninstall even. And the microwave requires some kind of a stainless steel frame that goes around it to cover the gaps of this cubby hole. And it turns out it was not at all easy to a purchase a microwave because they're in different sizes and and different manufacturers don't have the same color as the stove next to it and all that, and uh, and the stainless steel frame that goes around it costs as much as the microwave. So, as a result, long story short, a week later after you removed the microwave, we still don't have the microwave, but it has taught us patience. You made the first day, I think, of this. You were going out to work that night, and you made some... I made a really nice pasta dinner, that, um, but I made it on the early side, and then I said, oh... You made it in the middle of the, the afternoon. I made it, yeah, I made it in the afternoon because I wasn't going to be home, but it was a, it was a nice pasta dish, and um, I forgot we didn't have the microwave, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, how are you going to heat this without overcooking the pasta? No, no, no. You, you, you said... So at five thirty, when the kids are ready to eat, you just and I said, "I you just what?" And I pointed at the where the microwave used to be, and you right. turned around and did the surrender cobra, put your hands on your head, and said, and I oh, said "Right." I said, "We'll just feed the kids when they get home from school." So we got home from school at three forty-five, and told the kids we're eating dinner because we have we have this lovely dinner, and we have no way to heat it up later. So instead of eating snacks now and dinner later, you're going to eat your dinner now and like it. And then you'll have snacks later. <laughs> so I guess not having a microwave did not teach them patience. We just fed them earlier. Right. It did the opposite. But it uh, it has made things a challenge. I've been eating a lot more cold lunch because sometimes for lunch I like I'll have leftovers from the night before, like with a salad or something. And instead, it's just been I have no way of heating things up, so I'm just you're, eating things cold. You're not Larry David. Larry David doesn't like a hot lunch. If you right. remember that episode of Curb, you yes. you do like a hot lunch. I do. I mean, if it's if it's meant to be hot, then I do like it hot. All right, enough of this nonsense. I think it's time we open up Denny's old curiosity shop. Shall we open the shop? Shop with two P's, Denny with one N? Yes, consider this the tinkling of the bells on the door and turning over the closed to open side of the sign. When the spawn meets wood.
Well, for those of you who don't know, Denny is now sending us a weekly email with the things that he is most curious about. This week, Denny writes, it's December. We can officially talk Christmas music. What are your top five Christmas songs of all time? Don't You don't have to give me your top five, but just give me your top Christmas songs. Denny gives me his. Mine are, he writes, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Springsteen Edition. That's my number one, too. I'm, I'm right with him on, on that, yes. New York City Christmas by Rob Thomas. I don't know that. I, I, I wouldn't be inclined to... Uh, You're not a Rob Thomas fan. I, I don't like the song where he says, I'll keep you warm like a sweater. That's oh. not my favorite... Uh, my, my lyric that whenever that song comes on, I wait for that part of the song because I always say to our oldest daughter, he could have come up with something better there. Almost I'll anything. keep you warm like a sweater is one of the worst, uh, one of the worst analogies. And so um, it just makes me laugh because it's so bad. Three for Denny. All I want for Christmas is you by Mariah Carey. Four. I wish every day could be like Christmas by Bon Jovi. You see, this is a New Jersey centric. Yes. List. Uh, by our friend in New Jersey, and five, and this may be generational, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays by NSYNC. Ah, throw some NSYNC in there. Well, I, I I don't have a top five list. Santa Claus is Coming to Town because I love Bruce Springsteen. I've always loved that song. Um, and then I don't know the name of it, but the song I've heard a little bit this Christmas season that I really like is the one from Love Actually. Do you remember the name of that song? Oh, um... It's the song Christmas is All Around by Billy Mack and um, the character. Oh, that's from, in the movie where yeah, the yeah. rock star is going to put out a Christmas hit. Like in the UK, there's always a big Christmas chart topper. Yeah. And the character's name is Billy Mack. And, um, Speaking of that, how do we feel about Paul McCartney's Christmas song? The boom, you know, that one with all the... I don't think I do. You, you mentioned it the other day. I'm not yeah. sure that I've heard it. It's um, pretty polarizing. Okay. But I, I do know this, that there's two songs that I can't stand when they come on. Um, the number one song that drives me nuts over the holidays is Santa Baby by Madonna. When I hear the Eartha Kit version, I like it. It makes me laugh. The 54 I think it's convertible cute. to light yeah. blue. Eartha Kit's version is clever. It's the only one sweet. you need. It's the only one you need. It. Madonna's is just annoying. And like she's trying to sound as dumb as possible while she sings it. And it drives me nuts. And the other one is um, Baby, It's Cold Outside. I just don't... That was banned this week. This could have been in the Curiosity Shop. That was banned by, I think, a Detroit radio station this week because it's sort of, uh, you know, not... It's sort of date rapey a little bit. So uh, anyway, I don't like any version of that song, and I don't like the Madonna version of Santa Baby. Okay, I'll tell you the best Christmas songs if if you want to hear them. They are... And people at home should understand that this is how you do things. Not these are my favorite or these are the ones I think are best. But you say, the, I'll, I'll tell you the best Christmas songs. And like, that's it. As if it's not a matter of opinion. So go ahead. Tell me the best Christmas songs. In my humble opinion, there you and go. I'm probably better. wrong. These are Christmas songs that I enjoy personally. Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues. Never heard it. You've heard it because I've played it here a thousand times. Okay. So I do I like it? Probably not. Okay. Christmas Wrapping with the W by The Waitresses. Do I know that one? Absolutely. It's on the radio pretty often. The kids have heard it twice in the car in the past okay. week. Then, and I, actually, I do know that song as I think about it, and I like that song. Good. Christmas and Hollis, Run DMC. Oh, of course I like Christmas and Hollis. And my piano teacher, the great jazz pianist Damian Curtis, played this for me last week in our double session the Christmas song, written, I didn't realize it until Damien told me, by Mel Torme, of course, brought to uh, the top of the charts by Nat King Cole, 
the chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That was written in 1946, in apparently the scorching summer of 1946, as a way to think cool thoughts and therefore stay cool in that age before universal air conditioning. Did Damien teach you that? No, I, I Wikipedia just... taught me that. Oh. Oh, nice. Well, are you going to learn how to play that song on the piano? I know you won't be able to play it like Damien because he's I mean, just spectacular. It, it, it's but... a little bit demoralizing because if I could play, you know, a a easy piano version of of that, sure, it would sound good to me. But having heard him play, elbow me off the bench and play this thing like uh, he's at the Village Vanguard, it was it's it's both inspiring and demoralizing. What's the second item in the in Denny's Curiosity Shop? Second item in Denny's Curiosity Shop. I'm going to I'm going to hold this one up to the light and like a snow globe and and inspect it. Then he writes, "I swear this next question isn't self-promotion, but my birthday is this Sunday." <laughs> what are you getting me? Is that his question? Well, of course, a quadruple-barreled margarita maker right, for Denny. Right. Of course. Denny asks, "Well, first of all, happy birthday, happy Denny." Happy birthday, Denny. 25? Must be 25. I think 25. Happy 25th, Denny. Then he asks, what is your most memorable birthday? Presumably, what was your most memorable birthday? I can answer that easily, and I've said it many times. Seven years old, came down for breakfast on a Saturday morning, September 22nd, 1973. There's a paper bag under the wall-mounted telephone where my dad usually kept his briefcase, but on weekends, the briefcase sometimes uh, was not there. And uh, that was my birthday present. I opened it up. It was a Minnesota North Stars jersey the beautiful green, gold, white, the N with the star on top. And uh, the wrapping paper was that brown paper bag. Uh, I loved that. And I wore it until I could no longer wear it. And I, now I have the uh, grown-up version of that in my closet here. That was two weeks before I was born. You got that present exactly two weeks a day before I was born. So my most memorable birthday was my 35th birthday. And, of course, the reason it was so memorable was because we... we meaning I had our son on October 6th of 2008. So uh, our son is born on the same birthday as me. I'm trying to think, when I was a kid, I can remember, there's not a lot of birthdays I, I remember very vividly, but I do remember, I was in high school, I've told this story before, and Bruce Springsteen had come out with two cassette tape, <laughs> he came out with two albums, and I got them both for my birthday. And... Uh, my parents would normally give us our birthday presents in the evening. They gave me those in the morning so I could listen to them in my canary yellow Sony Walkman on the on the school bus on the way to school. With your answer about our son being born on your birthday and that being your most memorable birthday, it has shamed me. It has shamed me into the realization that we got engaged on my birthday. And in, that's not your most memorable birthday. <laughs> in 2002. Well, it's second, certainly. Finally, Denny asks... Kawhi Leonard signed a shoe deal this week with New Balance. Which which is more likely? He will make New Balance cool, or he will become the official dad of the NBA. Denny's money is on the latter. I don't know if you can make New Balance cool. You and I have talked about this before, not on the podcast. Just like, does New Balance come in any other color than well, yeah, white I, on I, white? I, they, they make great running shoes, and I've, I've run in them, and those rainbow, the rainbow running shoes that I have. have? Yeah. Okay. But, but there is a specific model of, New Bal of white New Balance with the white N, that seems to be the official footwear of the senior citizen. You know, I've, I, I keep getting those ARP uh, mailings coming down the chimney like the Harry Potter Hogwarts invitations, and I've spurned them. I, I will finally embrace them when I get my uh, buy those New Balance. And I think they're somehow ergonomically designed for the comfort of the more mature 
pedestrian. <laughs> well, I think this is what I think of when I think of New Balance. When I was like in high school or college, there was one shoe store in Connecticut. This is before you could buy shoes online. There's one shoe store in Connecticut that had women's shoes up to a size 12, which is I, it's what I am, a women's size 12. And it's called Footprints. And I think it still is going strong as a shoe store in Newington. And so when I needed dress shoes, my mom would take me there. And I just remember it was like this section of um, shoes for women with larger feet. And then the rest of the store was New Balance because they come in really wide sizes. So it was a bunch of men there with wide feet and me. And so anytime I think of New Balance, I just think of all those and people who are at Footprints in Newington buying their wide size shoes. Footprints? The shoe store was called Footprints. Not yes. Fat Foot? <laughs> No, it wasn't called Fat Foot. It's called Footprint. So anyway, because of that, I can't even conceive of wearing a pair of New Balance basketball shoes. That and the fact that I don't know that I've ever seen a pair of New Balance basketball shoes. All right, we're, in, we're pressed for time here. Let's get straight to viewer mail, shall we? Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. We'll start viewer mail with Twitter, which is at Ball and Chain Pod. This is from Laura. She said, last week, my coworkers and I sat, my coworkers and I sat on the same side of a booth just to see people's reaction. The waitress seemed confused, but tried to roll with it. To complicate matters, we put the shortest one on the inside, which resulted in us passing dishes down the line. So there you go. Coworkers went out. I don't know how many of them there were. And they sat on the same side of the booth just to see the reaction. I like it. Without a camera. That, that's fantastic. And then here's a Gmail that comes into our uh, email address, which is ballandchainpod at gmail.com. And this one says, I currently work at a high school and so many of those horrible fashion trends are back. Oh, I think this is from our resident educator. In the past month, I've seen pegged jeans, overalls, jean shorts, which of course are jorts, Acid wash jeans and high waisted mom jeans. It scares me. Our oldest daughter went shopping with my sister and kept trying on jeans, and um, they were mom jeans. And sh- our oldest daughter isn't necessarily a fan of mom jeans, but said, This is what's in. Everyone's wearing mom jeans. And they call them mom jeans. And they call them, they proudly call them mom jeans. So, uh, so awesome. I think. Because I think sometimes it looks silly when, when grown adults wear the fashion trends that their kids are wearing. But that puts you in a bit of a predicament if you're a mom who wants to wear mom jeans. But now mom jeans is something that your 13 or 14 year old is wearing. So it looks like you're trying to dress like your 14 year old when you're wearing your mom jeans. The 14 year old is wearing mom jeans. The 45 the year old mother is wearing the ripped jeans trying to look like the 14 year old. Right. We've got a lot of... Uh, Viewer mail about food this week. That address is ballandchainpod at gmail.com. Lori writes, at one time there was a fast food chain in central Ohio that had peanut butter that had peanut butter sandwiches as their main item. You could get fresh strawberries and a few other ways to make it special. The restaurant did not make it. So this was not a million dollar idea. PB and J restaurants. Well it sounds like it was a PB restaurant and then maybe you had to pay extra for the J. Or the She's, strawberry or whatever else. She says, my point is sloppy joes are too easy to make. When you don't have time to make a meal, you make a peanut butter or sloppy joe sandwich. That, I don't believe that's true. How is it more difficult to make a hamburger than to make a sloppy joe? I think it's more difficult to make the sloppy joe. I mean, I think it's more, yeah, I think it's more difficult. It takes more time. Hamburger is intact and you just throw it on the grill. Right. 
Anyway, Lori thinks I should make the sloppy joe as my go-to food when uh, when Rebecca is traveling. Fair I enough. Think that's a terrific idea. Brian J writes, Rebecca, I'm going to have to disagree with you on the unhealthiness of fast food. I I've contend, stopped listening already. I contend that it passes through the system so quickly it doesn't have time to do damage. It should be called fast-moving food. You don't really <laughs> buy it as much as rent it. Keep potting, Brian J. I like that, Brian J. That's true. You are renting... You're renting your fast food. There you go. Fast moving food. And and finally, from our resident patent attorney, Ed Yee in Maryland, Ed writes, uh, I happen to agree with Steve regarding using a carryout bag as a napkin when there's no better option. And I've heard from several people who feel the same way, who have used the uh, the Burger King bag to, to wipe their face after consuming a Whopper Jr. Uh, Ed writes that uh, as a resident patent attorney, he wondered if anything anyone had ever invented something along these lines. It turns out the answer is yes. The first is pretty old, dates to 1954. It's basically a cloth napkin that folds into a lunch bag. Pretty cool, writes Ed. The second is newer, 1992, and this is the one that I love. And he, he includes the schematics. He includes the patent applications. I'm just going to interrupt quickly to say how awesome it is that we have a patent attorney who goes and looks this stuff up for us so that right. we can add this to our podcast. I mean, he's, so he's billing us by the hour, but still. That's still, it's worth every penny. Thank you. Ed writes, it's a combination paper bag slash paper napkin. Even better, it has an adhesive strip so you can stick stick it to your shirt. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, the, yes. It's a combination paper bag and paper napkin. With an adhesive strip so you can stick it to your shirt just like a feed bag so all of the food can then fall into the bag. I wonder if this ever went into production because I would purchase some. I don't believe so. This addresses the eating while driving problem, writes Ed, which the inventor explicitly describes in the background section of the patent. Please note, and I cannot overemphasize this, writes Ed, the inventor is a woman, Nina Clooney of Salt Lake City. I would not have guessed that. I'm now wondering what we should call this. Ed suggests a bapkin. Of, I like Babkin. Of course the inventor is a woman because a man doesn't have any problem with his food falling on his shirt or in his pants or whatever. But this woman was watching men eat and decided that other women would purchase this for their sloppy man, <laughs> their sloppy Joe, perhaps, their sloppy Bill. So, of course, it was a woman who invented this. And we need to find out if it was if there was even ever any... Um, a prototypes? Yeah, yeah. We have to find out if there was uh, any Surely there were some prototypes. prototypes. And if we can acquire them, and if the adhesive strip will still stick, because I just wear that around walking around. Uh, finally, for me, at the Gmail, ball and chain pot at Gmail, Ron writes that when he was growing up, his friend's family had the original Hardware Hank hardware store building restored and on their land as his grandfather was actually, his grandfather was the actual Hardware Hank. This is from Hardware Hank's grandson? No, this is from Hardware Hank's grandson's buddy. Okay. We spent our teenage years throwing parties in that historic building. I believe Hardware Hank's headquarters were and remain Plymouth, Minnesota. There are still, uh, my brother Tom texted me about this also, that uh, he was just at Hardware Hank in St. Paul, I think, last week. And Dan DeWert in Milwaukee tells me that uh, Hardware Hank's are still going strong in Wisconsin and even have a spot on Brewers Games. Quote, you've got a lot more going for you with Hank, Hardware Hank. I remember that slogan. Uh, well, it still plays on Brewers games. It, it reminds me of the Home Improvement Center in the Midwest commercial, Save Big Money at Menards. Oh, we had that one, you too. You had Menards? Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know if we had Menards, but I definitely remember that, that uh, jingle, so well, I heard it somewhere. Tom of Tom, Dick, and Harry dressed as the Menards guy one year for Halloween. I don't know where he got the Menards uh, getup, but he did. And, uh, and I, I was delighted to find online here that Hardware Hank, still thriving, is just behind Ace Hardware, do it best, true value, and handy hardware 
as the fifth largest uh, hardware sort of oh, cooperative wow. in, in America. So kudos to Hardware Hank. Kudos to Hardware Hank. And speaking of Tom, Dick, and Harry, they've recorded a beautiful song about those carefree days of childhood, inspired, I hope, in some way by Stingray Afternoons, but it's... Your book, Stingray Afternoons. Stingray, Riding on a Stingray, is the song. Um, I want to play it next week, perhaps, when we have more time to do it but There justice. should be a build-up. I mean, that will be our Christmas gift or our holiday gift to our listeners because, I mean, what's better than getting a free listen to it, Stingray? And it'll both have a Christmas aspect because it's about those iconic products of childhood who wouldn't want to see a stingray bike under the tree but it's also a summer song about those carefree days of of uh, summers off so we'll hit you with that next week i hope yeah you have that to look forward to next week but until then you can listen to them singing our theme song right here tom dick and harry play us out Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.